You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, how are you doing, people? It is 8 o'clock, or 8.01, and you're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, or maybe you're joining us live, which is always a treat as well. We are now, hopefully you've seen some of the advertisements, we're now just exclusively going to YouTube. Okay, so no more Facebook, I'm afraid. Um, it's all about YouTube. It's just easier. There's less connection issues. It's just much, much nicer. So that's what we'll be doing. Um, hopefully um, you have found your way here tonight. People have already come in the room, it would seem. Um, if you do join us live, then what can happen is we can bring you up on the screen. Um, all your comments can come up on the screen. So Gary Benson, founder of the STA. Hello, how are you doing, Gary? Good to see you here. Leslie Campbell. Hello, Peter Dose. How are you doing, Leslie? Good to see you. So it's actually a great way of networking, hanging out with other soft tissue therapists. You haven't got to be a member of the STA, obviously, to come here. Um, hey, Stephen Barr, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Um, but it gives you a nice little look at what a great bunch we are. Um, Leslie Campbell has come back Two comments in five seconds. Um, Glasgow in the house. Thank you, Leslie, for sharing that. And Catherine Reimer, um, nice to see you as well. So, yeah, people are flocking in. Like I say, if you are listening to the recording on the podcast, and that's that's lovely of you, um, it would be even nicer if you could leave us a rating. That'd be great as well, especially um, on Apple. So if you're on an iPhone and you're listening to this, then please, please just click that kind of the fifth star along and maybe leave a rating saying great, something like that. It really helps just kind of get our message out and the message of our great guests out to a large audience. Uh, so that would be fantastic. Oh, lots of people coming tonight. YouTube is proving very, very popular. So where are we? Um, we are in part three of our month's focus on women's health. This is what we're doing at the Sports Therapy Association. Every month we're picking a topic so we can focus on it and people can hear what's happening and then they can tune in. Um, we started off, um, well, tonight, actually, we'll go backwards. Tonight, um, we've got... Um, two, I can only describe them as friends of mine now. One of them I've never heard of before, never met before. But after the last 10 minutes, I feel like I've known all my life. It is, of course, the woman who will be appearing, um, thanks to Matt Scarsbrook. It's, it's, I asked Matt Scarsbrook, do you know any women apart from your wife? And he said, yes, I know one. And that's who's coming up later on. So really excited about that. Um, and we're going to be basically looking at um, how much, in theory, it was about to highlight how much do male therapists need to know about women's health? We've we've had from some fantastic guests like Emma Brockwell and Graham Donnelly, and we had Jenny Burrell last uh, week talking about menopause. And there was a lot of questions about male therapists when women come in. Is it an awkward conversation? Things you should really be asking so you could not necessarily treat them yourselves, but refer them to the right person. Uh, we've had um, uh, episodes with, for example, Deborah Thurlow Rowley talking about endometriosis, and we had hypermobility episode. And it's quite scary for those of you who haven't caught up with those episodes how many um, women's health issues um, actually go diagnosed sometimes for up to 10 years because they just haven't been sent to the right person. Even GPs, sometimes we've heard, just send women away. And we'll be talking about later on. There's something about women's pain which is regarded less serious than men's pain. Um, it's something we will get into. Thanks to Matt Scarsbrook joining us. Very excited. If you haven't seen what Matt Scarsbrook is up to or seen his latest videos, then we'll be chatting about that briefly. And also the women he's bringing along uh, will obviously be um, very interesting as well because women are interesting. Right. The next section um, will be uh, looking at what do we have? We're on YouTube. Um, obviously, you can download it on Apple or anything you like. Um, Spotify seems to be very popular at the moment and people are realizing we're on Spotify as well. 
Um, if you missed out the first episode, that was with Dr. Fiona Higgs and Deborah Thurlow Rowley, who have got their own thing happening now. I think they've maybe even recorded the first episode and they've started their own women in sports therapy, aka WIST podcast. Um, and it's a project very much addressing things which we brought up on the Sports Therapy Association podcast about role models. They'll be talking about women's health issues. They'll be talking about anything which could be of interest to the industry, not just for female therapists, but therapists of any gender who want to be uh, aware of women's health um, in our industry. So check that out. Follow Dr. Fiona Higgs and Deborah Thurlow-Rowley. Listen to the episode with them which, like I say, is available in all podcast players. Uh, last week, we had Jenny Bowell, which was all about the menopause. Fantastic episode with one of the leading educators in women's health. Very much um, suggest you check it out. Jenny is a fantastic educator. And again, it was an eye opener for some of the things which we don't even think about. It was a topic which I'm sure we'll refer to later on tonight as well, because it's something, as Jenny said in her own words, you don't really think about. Even women don't think about it until it hits you. How many women out there have actually had a conversation with their mum with a cup of a cup of coffee saying, but mum, what is the menopause really like? Most most women I've talked to say when their mum had the menopause, they just ran out the door and, and avoided any form of communication. Um, so that's something we'll be addressing tonight as well. Um, and like I say, if you've joined us, then feel free to ask questions to our guests. Um, I've got a funny feeling it's going to be a very good one. So without further ado, we'll get rid of that and bring up Mr. Matt Scarsbrook and a woman. I'm not going to get tired of saying that. <laughs> hey, guys, how are you doing? <laughs> Hello. I'm not going to get tired of uh, hearing that either. <laughs> Let me just put your names out. There we go. So um, thank you for joining us. Um, very thank you for having you. us. No, no, no. Thank you for joining us. It's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind, this is going to work so well. I think it's really nice. <laughs> you don't know us too. Then. <laughs> again, that was also we've heard about what happened in your mind when you were imagining this podcast, yeah, yeah. and so no, this is going to this is going to be historical. This is going to absolutely go viral. I'm sure. I'm really confident. Um, but anyway, so um, I need to change women. I need to change a woman. This is um, it was funny at the time, but it's not funny anymore. Let's call it a lady. No, not let's call it Katie. That'll do. Katie, Katie, there we go. Thanks for joining us, Katie. Thank you for having me. Um, obviously, you're not representing all the women in the world, but um, we are hoping that in the experience you have as a woman, um, that you'll be able to highlight um, some of the things which we talk about in our conversation. You're not a therapist at all, are you, a soft tissue therapist? No, no, not a soft tissue uh, therapist at all. <laughs> which is kind of important as well, because we do want to have any bias at all, um, as in you knowing what we were kind of like, thinking about so have you ever received much kind of soft tissue therapy massages or sports therapy or physio in your um life? not in a sports way mainly just the uh, usual spa massages okay. but, that's fine yeah not in a sports way okay. Other than Matt i don't i don't i was gonna say i think i used <laughs> I you for practice yeah. once and you never came back um i don't know what that's like. it's very similar it's just sports therapy basically breaks down um soft tissue because it's deeper that's basically the only difference and, and improves the circulation <laughs> even more because you're pushing harder you but i know that will go into that which leads us nicely on to matt scarsbrook's um, latest videos about those very topics matt how are you I'm all right, thank you. Yes, <laughs> I'm good, and uh, I'm I'm glad you asked because although I've got stuttery video on this link, I'm late. <laughs> seems okay at the moment. Outside. <laughs> 
Oh, there Talk we go. Talk to us about your latest so, videos. How are they going? What's the what's the, uh, yes, what's, I've been playing with the engine been to the we've had the massage one, which was the latest one, the massage guns. Yep, we had the massage uh, the massage guns ones um doing pretty well at the moment. I think uh, it's slightly longer, so uh, it's you know YouTube's all about people watching to the end. Watch to the end. Um, but uh, no, that's going, it's going uh, particularly well. Uh, the one by far and away that, that's, um, that's leading is, is still the five things your massage therapist wished you knew. Um, but, uh, you know, but that's largely, I suppose, because of the wonderful community of people that listen to me blather <laughs> on and they agree. So, you know. Yeah, that is always a bit of a problem. We've talked about this in the past, haven't they? Because there is this danger of an echo chamber. But have you had feedback? Personally, I... And I am biased because I love the work you do. But do you, are you managing, are you getting any feedback from people who some of the information you're giving is actually a little bit new and maybe it's been put in a way which is slightly humorous, but mixed in with research in a kind of approachable way, which is helping them? I haven't had anyone reach out and say, hey, this is new, tell me more. Um, I have, uh, I've, I've had my first troll um, I think I think you've made it on the internet when you get a troll. I think it's it should be a badge of honour. Yeah. Um, uh, and so uh, so that's been good fun. Um, but other than that, no. Um, <laughs> so far, the echo chamber is functioning perfectly well. Uh, it would be lovely if we can sort of branch outside the echo chamber because I'd like to know, you know, what the rest of the world think of the crap that I'm producing. But I'm enjoying producing it. So brilliant it's it um it is something it's tricky isn't it you say you've got a troll but you are still presenting information which as we know kind of goes against the grain a little bit for people yeah oh absolutely yeah no it, it can be um a bit tricky and a bit challenging and i suppose with the, with these videos uh, i am attempting to deliver them with a sense of humor now my sense of humor is definitely not everyone's cup of tea and it's barely my wife's cup of tea at times um but you know I think I think humor helps, but I'm also not trying to make the video so. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I can go off the off the off in the deep end with the detail if I really want to, um, but that's not what I'm trying to do here. I want to keep it fresh and simple, and for people to be able to just dive in and either use it to support, you know, maybe with a client that would be fabulous if people find it useful to explain stuff to to clients, um, but also just to generally improve the the. the you know, the understanding of these things but um my next one i am aware that that some people have kind of gone yeah this is this is great but but why is massage good so that's that's the next video the next video is going to be my um love letter to massage i suppose you would put it but you know based on the evidence very cool well i do recommend if you listen to the podcast i think most of the people who join us live are aware of you for better or for worse um but if you're listening to the podcast and you're not aware of matt scar's book and the work he does then go over to his youtube channel um and and check them out and and i do advise you to go even if you're a little bit like oh i've been reading that i can't break down scar tissue with my elbows or maybe i'm not improving circulation so what am i doing then because it we talked about it's loads of times it is a stressful time when you are getting a little bit more evidence-based and as we've said so many times on the show it, it's not a case of you throwing everything you've done away you haven't got to start suing your people who have trained you it's just little delicate tweaks which ultimately will basically get you more thank yous and see more results. Okay. And that's why you're in the business. You're not in it for the money. We all know that you're in it because <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, no, no, money. no money. You're in it because you're one of these people in life who has the empathy and you want to care for fellow human beings and you're prepared to rub your hands on them to do that. So 
you've already got the skills and you've got the dedication and and the personality to 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 be hugely successful it's just little tweaks to change where you're putting your time and also putting your money as you understand what i'm saying by that when you look at matt's in-depth analysis of um certain brands of massage gun but anyway and thank you catherine for pointing out you i've noticed you've been sharing my videos and it gives me warm fuzzy feelings and i don't mean that it, it's, it's lovely so thank you <laughs> warm fuzzy feeling from that that's a... i love a warm fuzzy feeling, feeling as well you know katie <laughs> right okay so there we go so um let's get on to tonight's topic then so we had a little chat about how we're going to set it out i mean it's became it's become quite clear that there is a lack of knowledge maybe not just i mean most of us most blokes hand and heart would say yeah i don't really know much about the menstrual cycle sorry you know and a lot of them probably wouldn't even care it's just not their cup of tea and they if anything they want to avoid it um and that's a problem when it comes to when pertainers of menstrual cycles come into your clinic and they're looking for help because they've got some kind of pain because then you need to know a little bit about it. But it was interesting last week with uh, Jenny that we discovered that when it comes to some topics, not just, but for example, menopause, that a lot of women don't know about it. So Katie, as we've just made you sit there and listen to banter between myself and Matt for the last 10 minutes. Um, what about for you? I mean, you don't represent all of women, but how is the whole menopause kind of thing for you have you been exposed to it or would you have known about it if you hadn't met people um so really interesting that you say yeah not many women know about it either so I'd say I'm in that camp where I I am a woman (laughs) it's been tested and (laughs) um I have a lot of women friends and family so for me you'd think I'd know a lot about menopause but I really don't or didn't um so my my mum went through it and it was just a period of time that I didn't really understand her or what she was going through um, and it never got spoken about and it hasn't been spoken about since. Um, so for me, it was just something that it's going to happen when I reach some sort of age, which I can't control and I'm just going to have to ride the wave and go through it and hopefully get out the other side, still married to my husband. Um, <laughs> whereas we've got a friend who I think we're allowed to mention Matt yes yeah, yeah, yeah. she said that's all good friend yeah. Gemma who um she's quite big into menopause um she's a nurse and she's done a lot of research on menopause now and her and I have had lots of conversations about it and I've learned more from her about the menopause than, than anyone else and it's just made me realize that we need to know about this stuff sooner because so yeah because because Gemma basically um her, her, her background is she was she was told to expect uh early perimenopause um effectively and and she had to make life decisions based on that but what's been incredibly valuable is the fact she's been so open i think with that isn't it to be fair and the conversations that then you know me as a partner because you know obviously my wife and katie and all the girls chat but then the conversations that i can then have as a guy with my wife having a conversation she would never have even thought about either and you know you've involved tom and all of a sudden there are conversations occurring because someone who is unfortunately in that position where they have to know about it is happy to share it so that others can benefit. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just the whole control factor of it as well. Like, again, as I was saying, it's just, it was always that thing that you just have to go through. Like there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas with Gemma that like she's told us there's so much you can try and do to manage your hormones and manage your mental health and your well-being, And that can all, help towards it which you just you're just not taught that as a woman even with the menstrual cycle like 
you're just expected to get on with it, I think, in society. Like, if you've got all the symptoms, which we could go into or not, but um, you're just expected to get on with it and just take some painkillers or take a hot water bottle and, and yeah, just get on with it. But I'm sure there's so much more you could do to try and manage it, um, like exercise and, and things like that. But we're just not taught that. <laughs> it's kind of weird you say that, and I think we were talking about this before, Matt, you mentioned, like, it seems at the moment the only introduction even a woman gets to women's health depends on how much your mum wants to talk about it or if you've got a sister or a friend. There seems mm-hmm. to be this big kind of element missing, yeah. which we thought was looking after us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, and, and I mean, that bit, <clears throat> if we could sort of jump into this, because I think that for me, when I was looking at, you know, what, what can I what can I add to this evening other than um, clearly bringing along Katie? Um, uh, it was, was well, let's just look at the, the, the history of why we're even here, right? Why do we even have to have a conversation that's labelled women's health? It's it's health, isn't it? <laughs> um, and, and it? And it comes back to it comes back to this 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 basis that the the male has been assumed to be the norm and anything that is not male is therefore atypical which is slightly ironic considering i believe women outnumber men 51 49% something like that but but it, it, it allegedly it goes back as far well it's it's recorded as far back as aristotle who basically decided that um women were simply dysfunctional men um and the the only difference being size and reproductive function um and basically aristotle's view was that women were inferior because their bodies were not warm enough to produce semen that's why male testicles were on the outside and female testicles were on the inside because they is cold. Wow. Isn't it? <laughs> and when I say female testicles, I genuinely mean that because the term ovaries wasn't actually introduced until the 1660s when finally someone decided that perhaps they weren't in fact testicles. So it, it, this, this, this idea that, that, the male is the norm. Um, I mean, I'm just going to, for, for those uh, who are live, I was just going to bring up these images quickly. Um, how many people have images similar to this in their clinics? Yeah. What, what do you notice about these? What do you notice about these two individuals? Yeah. Testicles yeah. on the outside. The testicles are on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, and that is totally, totally normal for for everything anatomy based, right? Um, there was a there was a study done um, where they looked at uh, American textbooks, uh, and uh, and across something like sixteen thousand anatomical images, male bodies were used three times as frequently as female bodies when describing anatomical uh, parts, if you will, that were identical in both. So even when we're not talking reproduction, <laughs> um, men are assumed to be the norm. And and this this seems to come through all of our education in, in, in everything to the extent that, and, you know, we'll jump back and forth on this, I'm sure, but to the extent that it even affects the way we conduct scientific research today. And and that's both in terms of uh women in sport which is obviously you know key to, to the, you know this 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 podcast and population but also women and um the medications that they take yeah. and and that, that obviously impacts well women's health across the board <laughs> 
Yeah, great points. That's very true. Um, so it's kind of not surprising that we are where we are today. Um, and I'm sure shortly we'll ask whether we're managing or whether it's managed to turn around a little bit. I'm interested, Katie, whether I've heard conversations from women who have been to see male clinicians, GPs and even consultants. And they've just been a little bit shocked at the lack of knowledge they've had or the lack of consideration. It's a common theme. There was a we were talking a bit off air in last year in March. And the government actually basically said what we're saying. The government kind of owned up. Hancock put his hand up and said, OK, I agree. The NHS is basically a system that was created by men for men. Um, and we need to make a change. And they did this survey. I think they got 100,000 responses or something from women across the country in the UK and were asked about uh, their personal experiences, women's health, people in the families, their daughters, mothers, grandmothers, etc. And also their experiences at the hands of healthcare professionals in the UK. And the results that came back were pretty shocking. Um, there was, um, I think, only 9% of the responses said that um, they felt they'd been informed by anybody about the menopause or given any information about it before it actually happened. 9% of all the women who went to see a GP. Yeah. It was like it wasn't until they hit it that they said, oh, oh, yes, you've got the menopause. Here we go. Let's talk about it now. Yeah. But Katie, yeah. have you ever been a little bit felt a little bit let down by seeing a practitioner? Um, I'm lucky enough that I haven't, but mainly because I haven't needed to go and see a practitioner about anything like that. I'd say the closest I come to it was um, I went into hospital with stomach cramps and got asked by several people, oh, are you pregnant or is it your period? And you're just like, well, if I was pregnant, I probably wouldn't be in A&E talking about stomach cramps. <laughs> I'd probably know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so, and it was just, it was that, and there's a majority of them were men, and it's just that it's automatically like, oh, let's get that question out of the way <laughs> and then like try and talk about something else. Um, I've had friends who have gone to doctors with um, like hormonal imbalances and they've been like depressed or anxious or crazy moods and stuff like that. And they've just been put on medication, antidepressant without the doctor actually trying to establish whether it is premenopausal or not. And again, as we're talking with Gemma, I've sort of had these conversations with friends like, oh, have you ever thought that it could be to do with the menopause or to do with your menstrual cycle or to do with anything like that? And they're like, no, and the doctor didn't say anything. So like, you know, I've got a friend who is more clued up on any of this than, than half the doctors that myself or wider friends would speak to. So yeah, luckily I personally haven't had it, but um, again, we're just, we're not educated. So you, you trust the doctors and you trust the healthcare professionals to be able to do that. Like why should we have to go and do our own research to then turn to a doctor and say, well, what if it's this? Why are we doing their jobs for them? It's crazy. There's some really interesting stats around. Um, so women are more at risk of being uh, diagnosed with depression. Um, and women on, by and large, are, I think more women are on antidepressants than men. Yet it is men who are more likely to seek help for mental health issues. So the question is, why are more women on the drugs? And um, it is supposed that although men are seeking help for mental health conditions women are presenting with other conditions and it's assumed it must be mental health mm, and so they get given antidepressants yeah which is which is yeah it's quite shocking um the more i've looked into it especially since we started this women's health i mean it went back actually when we went back and we had that period of no pun intended but we had that period of kind of time <laughs> with so emma brockwell and gronier i think came along and we had male uh, public health specialists as well bill taylor came along and and uh, Gerard Green, and it was then really got my interest in it because I was as hands up the same as anybody else. I really wasn't aware enough 
of, of what that person coming in to see me could be suffering from and asking the right questions. But the more I looked into it, I realized that there is across society in the medical practice, this kind of idea that women's pain just isn't kind of respected as much. It's almost like either one, they just tend to complain a bit more, <laughs> you know, which is there. You know, they kind of like, oh, my lot, you don't understand me. No one appreciates me. And so the pain is kind of considered as different. Mm. And then, too, like you say, Matt, it's like if they come in with something, it's like, oh, it's probably mental health. It's probably stress or something. They're not coping very well with their kind of like, you know, family duties and things, as opposed to looking at something like endometriosis, undiagnosed for maybe 10 years, hypermobility. Same thing mm. could be undiagnosed for ages. Um, even simple pelvic health issues like um, um like you said before, Katie, having a um, um, an excessive period with lots and lots of pain, you kind of thought, oh, it's just, I'm just unlucky. I'm one of those unlucky ones. I just have to put yeah. up with it and chuck some yeah. Feminax down my throat, like the adverts say, when really it could be the onset of something like endometriosis. So it is quite scary the more you look into it, the way that when it comes to health, this kind of gross ignorance we have about women. Yeah, um, and I wonder whether that puts a lot of people going off to see their doctors because they just think well they're probably not going to be able to help me anyway so why bother <laughs> we've got Which some comments here. yeah no it's shocking and and that's across the population and we've also on on one chat live on my other podcast i talked to tina Muir about um athletic amenorrhea and that and, and the fact that she'd seen gps repeated number of times who basically said it's just normal you're just exercising a lot don't worry about it you can't do both things you can't be an olympic athlete and expect to have regular periods it's one or the other love what do you want to do <laughs> you know that was what she was wow. told by gps who were looking after elite athletes but there was an interesting comment here um and the coaches as well coaches are just as guilty when you get to sporting populations mm. the, the female athletes are made to feel guilty if they take time off or they start questioning what's going on or they start mm. feeling like typically losing and not having periods um it was affinity bodyworks here clinical soft tissue therapist sarah jones here hey sarah thanks for joining us live sarah jones said um hi all did you know that gps don't have any mandatory training in their degrees around peri post menopause it's an optional module only affects 50 percent wow. of their patient list now i don't know whether that's true or not but if it is um obviously sarah, i would i would be tempted to trust i would be tempted to trust sarah on this she's <laughs> a bit uh she's a bit of um well she's my local expert so there you I'm go gonna trust her. it's scary no i'm just putting that disclaimer in case you know we're all brought up not to just to believe what we read but if that's true which we have no reason to doubt that's pretty that's incriminating isn't it yeah i'd be so tempted to next time i go to the doctor just ask like oh so do, did you actually do the training about peri and post-menopause no <laughs> yeah. okay well then i'm not seeing a doctor yeah. who has these <laughs> exactly no no no. i opted for just um whilst yeah. whilst you're touching on the on the sports side of things uh there matt uh, i don't know if you can just make um well not me but my image bigger although i wonder if it's going to be the wrong way around um if people can see the the little image of my screen that's um stacy sims yeah it's the wrong way around isn't it uh so that's um just an image from a ted talk uh to go and get you guys to go off and listen to the tech talk so for those listening on the podcast it's um stacy sims uh and it's women are not small men uh as a uh, as a ted talk from 2019 and this was recommended actually by Gemma, uh our, our friend uh and here she she goes into you know briefly like ted talks do but she goes into talking about how the differences uh between uh men and women show up in terms of sport and in terms of training and how important it is to understand um you know where you are in your menstrual cycle and how it impacts you so that you can 
um, you know, time your training so it is both most beneficial to you, but also so you can recover properly and uh, and be and be eating properly in order to achieve your goals. Because again, guess what? Most I th- actually, you mentioned this, Katie, didn't you? You you say when you were talking, you were looking um, for training programs for you. And yeah, Tom. yeah. So I put together a lot of our training programs for triathlons, running events, just keeping fit in general, not like sports athletes, but just I work well to a plan, um, and so I always just look on google and sort of see different training plans and try to put together something that works for us based around our schedule but i've never even thought about it from the point of view that i menstruate and tom doesn't so actually that's going to affect us differently and there's there's probably is times when i've felt really unmotivated fatigued you know bloating cramping all that sort of stuff and i've just got on with it because that's part of the track that's part of the plan and Tom's doing it as well and you just sort of think I look back and I think why haven't I adapted it like that that would have been such key information for me to be able to adapt my training plan to do that and to get more out of it as well like you were saying Matt in terms of doing your strength training at different times of the month versus cardio and, and stuff like that it just it makes you feel better at the end of the day when you feel like you're winning and you're not just told to do a run on a Monday but you know you're not really feeling up to it because you're feeling like crap and you've got cramps but you have to go out and do it anyway <laughs> Out of, out of interest, um, this is something that I, I hadn't really thought of. And, and Helen is doing, but she doesn't have like an Apple Watch or anything. So Helen's my wife. Sorry. Just uh, this is the problem with it. With, oh, yeah. Sorry. My, my husband. <laughs> yeah, this is the problem just like chatting with someone you already know. Uh, and you sort of realize that actually everyone else listening is like, who? Who's this said that? Um, is, uh, do you, have you found benefit in the sudden influx of things like apps uh, or wearables for tracking cycles um do you see that as as beneficial or is there kind of a lot of marketing in it does it help with your understanding of your own um for me so i without plugging in anyone have garmin um and i have their their tracker on it and the only thing it's useful for is predicting when it's going to turn up um, if you're on, if you're regular, if you're not, it could surprise you the day before, the day after, whatever. Um, but it's pretty much just uh, it could happen in and around this day. It doesn't provide me any information about how I should adapt my training <laughs> and life. Yeah, it doesn't do any of that. Um, it's, okay. it's pretty basic, and I haven't looked into apps that that could do more. Yeah. Oh no, no, fair enough. I was just, I was just intrigued actually because. Um... It's hard to know sometimes whether whether these are just um, marketing spiels for some of these big companies or whether they are actually of any use. Yeah, yeah. One would hope that it's a little bit of both because at least the conversation's occurring, right? Mm, yeah, but I think that that link between exercise and periods probably not done enough because even the the popular ones like natural cycles and stuff they're all about hormonal balance and really you trying to get to know your body and not use contraception or not use drugs yeah. as contraception but to use your own natural um body i haven't used it but i i would doubt and i'd like to be proved wrong that it talks about exercise and and stuff within that as well as part of that so i just i haven't seen much out there and it's only through this conversation that i've started looking for it and i just sort of think why why is it had to take for us to bring this up to talk about women's health for me to have to go out and find that information that's interesting. That was actually, uh, I think it was Becky, I think actually last week had that. She just wrote in the comments, how come I never thought about the menopause until now? What is wrong yeah. with education? Things have got to change, you know, and it's, 
yeah it's bizarre um i just got to say that um sarah's come back um she uh, i'm sorry i kind of doubted you sarah but it's just our job um she says lol local expert going through perimenopause perimenopause i've had to learn much of what i know away from the gp and ended up paying privately i was offered antidepressants antidepressants uh, too um, and also that was backed up by um leslie as well um, Leslie Campbell says antidepressants are so commonly prescribed for menopausal women. And then in true Leslie style, she follows that up with a comment. Perimenopause is a bloody hormonal imbalance, not mental health. Makes my piss boil. So, um, <laughs> Love you, Leslie. <laughs> Thank you. It's very good. Um, and then uh, Sarah came back and said... Um, connects to what we we're talking there about um high level athletes commonly have their cycle suppressed with the pill so their training doesn't have to be periodized around their cycle this yeah. is something which we'll talk about i mean next week just to mention it now we have got um emma brockwell and gronia donnelly who i mentioned before and there are a colleague whose name escapes me for a second but they um, are responsible for as well as publicizing the first ever um, postnatal running program which until three years ago had never been even contemplated it was, there was no guidelines at all for it together with Tom Goom they produced that now they've got their athletic female program which again is helping to train athletes they'll be in next week and I'm sure we'll touch a lot on this uh, for sports specific stuff mm. but again it is it is quite shocking oh, how if women are just not told what to do they're actually kind of conned and tricked there's no other word for it or used by probably male coaches to kind of like deliver fantastic results and it's it's all a bit depressing we need to move on to something a bit more exciting soon or not exciting but a bit more cheerful <laughs> oh, then let's move on to well I'll tell you what so um in case more cheerful drug Please. trials um so <laughs> I, I was <laughs> well, drug, I, trials. drug trials woohoo i was i was so again so because uh, cause geek uh i thought well let's have a look at you know how the world of science influences what we do and don't get taught i suppose about um uh, women's health and how women are different from our standard male model and um actually one of the books that i was uh, listening to makes the point that the standard male model is a is a you know caucasian 70 kilo male and certainly even the you know the 70 kilo bit doesn't particularly well describe most males and so even the male model is screwed let alone the fact that it doesn't encompass half the population but um there was some some really interesting stuff around uh, looking at whether women are included in clinical trials or not. So particularly we're here, we're talking drug trials. Um, and uh, there was a, I don't know if people uh, remember, but the thalidomide um, babies, uh, um, oh, what's the word? Catastrophe. Uh, I suppose that happened in the, uh, in the late 60s. Uh, or early 60s, I should say, where uh, this drug, thalidomide, that was a recognised um, uh, sedative, was uh, given to women uh, to help combat morning sickness on the basis that the um, researchers couldn't find a high enough dose to kill a rat. Now, if that doesn't make it safe for women, I don't know what wow. does. Um, and so, I thought you said this is going to be more cheerful, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is, this is definitely more. Well, <clears throat> I mean, oh, yeah, thalidomide, much cheerful. Yeah. Keep going, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Obviously, that all went horribly, horribly wrong. Um, uh, but the the reaction by the FDA, uh, so the, the Federal Drug and Food and Drug Association in the US, was to basically ban the use of women I- uh, who, of childbearing capacity 
in drug trials. Oh, because that, that makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because they just didn't want responsibility, I don't think. And and that's that's basically continued. Now, since ninety seven, the the different areas of the world have started making it more mandatory that women are included in these trials. Um, which is how which is, is it a trial if you're not including <laughs> women? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Welcome to research. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but what they have discovered since and and it's still not being done well. In fact, there's there's um, many reports of uh, of trials being funded by the FDA that are basically going. No, you're still not including women anywhere near the proportion that represents how they are affected by the condition that you are investigating. This mm. is mental. But one of the bits that has come out of it, which I think is relevant to sports therapists and massage any therapist that's basically doing a a form of consultation, is that drugs and this might sound completely obvious but women are different and <laughs> and <Whoa. laughs> why know, right? and and therefore the drugs that they take are processed differently um and and so that can be uh, as as much as you know it takes longer for their kidneys to filter out drugs so that it, active drug is in their system for longer it can be that drugs that need to be taken after meals um, need to take longer for Sasha Gary's basis up his muscle. I do apologise, Becky. I, this will get more exciting, I promise. Um, the minute someone uses the word vagina, it'll all go down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, Matt, I interrupted you with a, just a comment there for people listening to the podcast. Carry on. But, but the fact that, okay, so I'll wrap it up. We now know that there are differences in the behaviours of drugs such as paracetamol, antidepressants, antihistamines, antibiotics between male and females and in females, depending on their cycle. Now, when was the last time anyone prescribed a female, you know, a female was prescribed a drug that accounted for where they were in their cycle and the fact that they're not a man? Equally, because all of the early research is not only done in males, but it's done in male animals as well. Drugs don't get progressed if they don't show any signs of benefit in animals. Right. So you do animal testing first then you go small trials in humans and you go mass trials in humans. If if you don't see any benefit in animals, then you don't move it further and move it forward. But 2016, a study demonstrated that. Female cells respond differently to certain drugs than male cells. And in this particular trial, the female cells, when exposed to the drug, actually fought off the virus that was being tested for. And the male cells didn't, which means we now have we've discovered that there are drugs that work for women that don't work for men. But when we're only testing on men to begin with, those drugs are simply not making it through further down the trials. Wow. It's just like How is this allowed to happen. I know, I know. So anyway, that was um, upbeat. Quick, uh, <laughs> Katie, rescue me. <laughs> I'm just going to shout vagina. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I mean, no, that's, that is amazing. It is, it's quite shocking. We joke about it, but it's like, yeah, you'd be, yeah, it just shows, I don't know. We won't get into the topic yet, but how we can change this. We'll save that for the end. But I want to involve the people listening here. Even if you're listening to the podcast, then maybe if you get a bit of paper and a pen, depends how geeky you are. I like to think all the people downloading this podcast are sitting there with their notebook and pen ready to take notes. Because don't forget, if you belong to the STA, then you can hand that over CPD and just write a little email or something to Gary Benson and say, I learned this from the podcast and that'll be CPD. And it's free. It's a great way of doing it. But 
and people in the room guys really i know there's not a i think it's what about five or six seven maybe guys in the room say, today. stevie stevie you're gonna have to represent here tonight yeah there's a few <laughs> of you there i just want you to write down it's got to be the first thing that comes into your head okay so i'm going to say it out loud and then you just type it in the comments and if you're doing it at home you can write down the first thing that comes into your head as well um name a disease and health problem that solely or disproportionately affects women okay i'll read it once more name one of the diseases or name a disease just one for the moment or a health problem that solely or disproportionately affects women and while they're thinking about that can i mm. refer you back to your earlier comment of upbeat <laughs> <laughs> well this is a game show isn't it doesn't matter what the content is people are excited now you're kind of like going into like oh i can get Come on. It's competitive yeah. it's the yeah what do we got so do not me oh gary says do not email me fill in the cpd form please okay <laughs> okay so stephen yeah now your name is on there and gary what do you think is one of the um most common diseases or health problems that solely or disproportionately affects women. What are you going to write down? Disease for women. We've got fibroids. Okay, I don't think. I think Sarah Jones. I don't want to jump to any conclusions here. Endome oh, you guys know too much. I mean, what I'm asking you <laughs> here. Hopefully at home, in my mind, everyone at home who downloads the podcast has written something down like, what do you think most people would say, Matt? Well, so what I was going to suggest is, um, uh, just to get people thinking as well, is to think of it as a non-female health-specific disease. So not a disease that's going to affect the uterus, the breasts, or the female testicles. Um, <laughs> as they will be called forever now. Breast cancer. Thank you, Gary, for, for representing the standard man, the bloke in the streets. I bless you, Gary. Thank you so much. Six foot six, a standard bloke in it. Um, yes, breast cancer. And this is, I mean, I read that and, and, and it's used. I think if you, if it was like, um, what's the name of that show? We asked a hundred people in our survey, Family Fortunes, wherever it was. Um, yeah, the top answer would be breast cancer, wouldn't it? And I think, although obviously it does affect an awful lot of women, it kind of masks as well. It kind of perpetuates this idea that, oh yeah, women, they only have to worry about breast cancer. Or maybe some ovarian, some kind of cancer or something. Or, with an actual fact, and I was amazed to to read this, is the biggest disease which affects women, um, like men, is actually cardiovascular heart disease. And I think, I know the people in the room aren't because you're really kind of you know you know your stuff, but I don't think a lot of the population realise that it is the biggest disease cardiovascular. You kind of think that it's for guys who are stressing out of work and playing squash too hard in between. But in actual fact, yeah, um, it's 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 a hugely high killer of women, tragically, um, despite what we may think. And it's interesting, which brings us as well, when you talk, this, this is what reminded me, Matt, when we talk about differences between men and women, you were talking about on a cellular level. We're going to go slightly, turn the, turn the binoculars around the other way now. But even the symptoms for heart attack, we were talking about this off air, weren't we? Symptoms for heart attack are different between men and women. Anybody got any ideas in the comments here? Take a few moments to think. Easily listen to the podcast. How would you know if a man's having a po having a podcast? How would you know if a man's having a heart attack? We kind of think about, don't we? Pain down the left arm, clutching, sense of uh, doom. That's I was going to say that that just reminds me of a terrible joke. How do you know a man's having a heart attack? Oh, don't worry, he'll tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, strictly speaking, the original version of that joke was about vegans, but um, it works just as well. That's very good. That's very good. 
Whereas if a woman's having a heart attack, I don't know how many people know this, but I found this very interesting. But she won't um, tell you. She'll just get on with it. She'll probably get on with it. <laughs> she probably won't even know herself. That's the scary thing. Yeah. Because yeah. what are the symptoms? We were talking off air, Matt. What have you? You were you were um, privy to this, weren't you? What are the symptoms for? Typically, yeah. So typically, the symptoms for um, females are fatigue, um, abdominal pain, uh, shortness of breath, uh, but rarely yeah so indigestion abdominal pain but rarely um is it specifically chest pain and left arm pain which is pretty crazy isn't it i mean there's i there's suggestions as to why this is to do with kind of rather than being clumps of blocked arteries and things it's kind of more evenly spread but again i don't think enough people know about that we always think of signs of heart disease look for clutching pain down the left arm all this sort of stuff and again yeah for 50 percent of the population but also but then, but, um talking about those symptoms they're, they're like period symptoms, bloating. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Go home, you're right. Like, yeah, exactly. Deal with it. How are you to know attack. what's yeah. a heart attack versus? Or if you turn up at A and E and you've got stomach cramps and they go, "Are you pregnant?" You know, I'm That'll dying. Be... Yes, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, exactly. one of the bits that terrified me when I sort of looked into that a little bit more was um, so uh, you were just saying there, Matt. You know, often it, you're looking for blockages, right? Arterial blockages in the heart muscle um, because that's a, the assumed cause of, of heart attacks. But that doesn't seem to be the case in women. However, that is our standard measure of whether someone suffering a heart attack should then go on to receive high level medical care, mm-hmm. which um, is only delivered in the UK, at least in certain um, specific centres. But if you're scanning everyone and half the population don't have that as a symptom, by definition, they're not going to get that specialized care because again, this model of care, this, this, uh, diagnose, diagnostic tool we use is based on men and the female conditions are different. Massively. So, I mean, how many of us have done first aids kind of for work or anything or, for, or not, if you're, if you're a therapist, then you should be doing your first aid pretty regularly or updates. I know it's only three years in theory, but that's not really enough because you forget all about it. It changes so regularly, but I hand on heart, I've probably been to probably done about, 15 probably nearly 20 first aid courses and refreshers and not once has anybody told me the symptoms for um, a woman having a heart attack ever it's always been the classic you learn about the w position you know how to sit them i don't know if that's different for women or men it's probably the same because it's got kind of physiological reasons for it but never have i learned to look out for um, differences Um, incredible real mind blower i just I just totally misinterpreted what Leslie had written there um, <clears throat> about heart, palpita- heart, heart, heart palpitations being mental through the menopause. For a lot of women, I interpreted that as uh, heart palpitations are regarded as being mental because you're in the why, menopause. That's why, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took me a moment to recall that. But um, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely mad. I think you've got some, um, oh, you had another cool question as well, didn't you, Matt? I'm just uh, I'm trying to remember. As in coming uh, from the listeners here, or something? As in, no, as in coming from your list of uh, of random questions. Well, I've got a few down here. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell them why, because I've got a bigger crib sheet. Uh, nothing last week, tonight, all pages. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, what along the lines of differences between men and women? Uh, no, I think it was uh, along the lines of. Well, so it, it, it was ones where we were basically just going to get Katie to embarrass us, I think. Oh, um, OK. So asking, we had some kind of stuff. Asking us some questions. About. <laughs> yeah. OK, uh, we can move just on to Just to highlight the fact. <laughs> it's true. It is already kind of 10 to. So, OK, um, again, this the idea was this is maybe. I mean, Matt and I might know a little bit more because we work. I don't know, but no, we shouldn't. 
There's a load of male therapists out there, I don't know. Stuff. I don't know. We knew we were going to be in the show, so we sorted up basically for the last week. Yeah. But um, other people might, we want to kind of, yeah, we, we should ask Katie questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Put the woman to shame. <laughs> Welcome to What Do Women Know About Women's Health? No. Well, okay, okay. So you say you say that. What do women know about women's health? I genuinely read an article in on my Apple Newsfeed the other day. Which, um, oh, actually, here's a piece of advice, um, totally unsolicited, uh, for guys out there. On your newsfeed, let's assume you're on a fruit-based device. Um, on your newsfeed, subscribe to women's health type newsfeed uh, articles because then, without being embarrassed, you learn a hell of a lot about women's health. Good point. Very, because you very start reading articles. So, for example, I was reading an article about a lady. She's based in the US. Um, she was having um severe issues with vaginismus um and um very sensitive skin uh, around a vulva um which basically meant that she had never been able to have pain-free sex uh, and so she was seeking help for that mm-hmm. and um the reason for the the news article was because she'd ended up reaching out to effectively a prostitute because essentially that was the only person who was willing to take her as a woman through what it means to achieve pleasure as a woman. Um, and, you know, the article goes into how this this poor lady had had no idea that her clitoris and her clitoral hood were two separate structures and how to identify one from the other. Um, and again, if women don't know this stuff, yeah. <laughs> then then, you know, guys, we've got to do an awful lot better to make conversations like that completely normal mm. um and so yeah unsolicited advice sign up to women's health type streams on your news feeds very very useful but i'll I wonder sure how many goes into the show notes yeah want to, to want to learn about that stuff i mean you know you guys you're doing a podcast that's a good reason i'm sure a lot of the audience probably will as well but yeah how many guys out there probably don't even think they need to or want to learn about it and to be fair women as well you know i don't want to cast that on men but yeah how many women just breeze through life yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think when 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 you get a true idea, and again, sadly, people don't think it's ever going to happen to you. But when we look at statistics, for example, endometriosis is very hot at the moment in the sense that it affects a huge amount of women and don't even know that they're getting it. We've talked to um, Deborah Thurlow earlier a lot about this, but yeah, until it happens to you, you don't worry about it, do you? But with women's health, and again, not to bring it down or anything, but women do have a comment what percentage was it was in this study um uh the the amount of, i think it was something like a quarter of their life women go through some kind of disability or dis-ease due to bad health compared to men which is a fifth of their life um and i was looking at the potential reasons for this um because also like matt sort of alluded to earlier on women do report these things kind of less a thing they have to put up with it more and they kind of like just deal with it i think it's just something to put up with but um and also you mentioned clinical depression women will suffer more than men um, and anxiety um obviously we've got things like um, anorexia and binge eating suffered more by women there's so many potential flaws for women to find themselves in if they don't yeah catch it early enough by communicating do they which, which brings me to Katie. So, for example, you've had you've got a friend who's um, who is educating you about menopause because she found a certain situation which needs to know about it. Mm-hmm. What about other topics like? Is it a kind of generalisation that women always talk about these things, or is it only if one of them's actually suffered from it and then it becomes a topic? 
I'd say only if people have suffered from it, then it becomes a topic. Yeah, I really would. Mm. I wouldn't say, you know, women talk about a lot of stuff um, and a lot of personal and intimate stuff, but it's usually based around their own experiences. Um, I'd so say, is that something needs to change, do you think, if, yeah, to, for the bigger I, problem? I, yeah, I think it should. And actually, I'd say our, our friends more than most probably do like to do more research and think about their their well-being and their bodies and look inwards but even that is just that's largely because our friends spend half their time naked <laughs> like like literally i i have never met a more a group of more body positive people um you know who i'm yeah. talking about they spend their time basically naked so i mean that helps yeah. in the conversation yeah. but i think i think we could all do more to learn about ourselves before we need to um definitely including myself so I guess the conversation needs to come from earlier on. We need to be introduced to it. I, I, I obviously haven't been in a sex education class for, for decades mm. now. I don't know how much goes into. If anything, I think I heard it was being kind of diluted down and withdrawn a little bit, according to current, current trends. But has anyone, I haven't got children that old yet. I don't know what it's like. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, my children are only nursery age, but I mean, even my wife and I have made the, the decision that, we're going to use anatomically correct terminology from day one. So my daughter is well aware she has a vulva um, and will talk about it. You know, if she's got nappy rash or whatever. She will use the word vulva to describe where she feels uncomfortable. Um, mm. What I find uh, on one hand funny and on the other hand, highly frustrating is that her nursery uh, teachers won't use that terminology. Um, they'll, they'll use the classic kind of, uh, you know, fluffy type words in order to av avoid avoid calling it what it is. Um, and that they're embarrassed, or I, I I'll be honest, I haven't actually taken them on directly over it. Um, you know, but it's sort of conversations. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's sort of conversations at the nursery door. It's like, oh, she was a little bit red on her foo foo, so we just put some cream on her. So <laughs> oh, for goodness' sake, I held myself. For goodness' sake, you know, it's a vulva. She's told you that. Call it what it is. You've got one. <laughs> um, no, I haven't. Maybe don't go around pointing out people's vulvas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's what Rowan does instead. <laughs> it's really dressy, though, isn't it? And probably mm. the education piece is very important. Though. I can't mm. believe that they've taken it out or they're diluting it down because that's only going to make the, the situation worse. You know, when boys are giggling about periods in school and girls are too embarrassed to talk about it because that is what society is telling us, even in schools let alone when you get into the old wider world, you know, workplaces, how often do we spend time at work yet you're not meant to talk about your period or you're not allowed to talk about your period or you've got, you got to hide your tampons and stuff in a little bag in the drawer. Um, and, you know, if you're feeling rubbish, you can't just be like, oh, I'm on my period, I'm bloated, I'm grouchy, I'm this, I'm that, leave me alone. It's just not not really the done thing unless in some workplaces, I guess it is. I worked in an office previously with, like six or seven other women and that was only the topical conversation and around the same time every month it got a little bit crazy in the office but i'd say in most offices it, it's it's not really spoken about and it's not really yeah and if people do start talking about it then they kind of get i mean they almost get kind of turned into some kind of joe brand in the 80s figure where you're just saying it for attention kind of thing and you're kind of yeah. ostracized aren't you like oh you're just trying to you know you you'll get labelled a feminist or something, or you're just yeah. trying to talk about it when you don't need to. But it definitely yeah. seems to be the source of the problem. Um, 
that's where it's like everything isn't it start at a younger age that's very commendable to you matt that's really cool um it didn't happen to Catherine. apparently Catherine's just um um shared here i still call mine twinkle <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. Hi, Twinkle. Hi, Twinkle. Hi, Twinkle. How are you? Um, yeah, um, shout, um, let's have a look. Um, Sarah has come back. Sarah Jones from Affinity Bodyworks. Um, they got taught in years, they get taught in year six, but I'd already told my kids the mechanics by then. Yeah. It does continue through secondary school, plus education around Menno was introduced in September last year. Now, is that good. across the syllabus, across the country, or does that depend on which school you go to? I wonder whether it's a. Mm. I, I mean, I remember my the, the, the sex ed I remember back in year six, it must have been. Um, I think we were all in class to watch the, um, well, the, the, the best contraceptive video ever, which is basically watching someone give birth when you are 11 years old. That is a hell of a contraceptive. Um, <laughs> uh, and then all the girls in the class were just kind of taken to another room. Uh, and we were told and all the lads were told they were having a conversation. And then they come back in and all the girls have kind of got, you know, little packets with them, but heads are down, no conversation and life moves on. Mm. And, you know, at that point, it's like, of course, guys had no idea what periods were because yeah. we were a excluded and b not even given like the guy version of that conversation, yeah. <laughs> um, it, which is mental. So is. I don't know if that still happens, but. We're not setting you up for success, are we? <laughs> No, you really aren't. It's all your fault. No, hang on, that sounds wrong. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, your teachers were Matt. Were they male teachers? Do you remember who took you for that? Or uh, no, it was a predominantly female teacher school. Was it? Actually. Interesting. Okay. But again, you know, I'm not. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. It was the 1920s. How can we? Obviously, this this podcast and this show is is. Um, seeing whether all this relates to soft tissue therapists, a sports therapist, massage therapists. And we in our, we've already discovered that we can make a huge difference because we're not just women, but people in pain often come to us as the first port of call because naturally it's almost like instinct. We, a rub makes us feel better. We have that from birth, don't we? Just that kind of contact it is, it is social Ready? grooming. Oh, come on now, guys. You've done so well up to now. This is almost going onto YouTube with a suitable for children video. It's, like a, it's fine so far. So, yeah, that, that social grooming, as Diane Jacobs would kind of make it, the power of touch, that contact, it's healing. It's, it's a basis for healing in, in the very beginning. So people do tend to come to us for that back massage if they've got symptoms. So we have got this huge, beautiful responsibility to help people by by asking the right questions and then being part, a really important part of the chain of healthcare and sending them to the right person and turning 10 years of not knowing into maybe six months and then suddenly realizing I've got to change my diet, I've got to do this or whatever it is. I can talk to people about it and get some kind of counseling, whatever it is. So it is exciting for, for soft tissue therapists. I guess it all boils down to just practicing the language and the questions a few times and then having the confidence and then installing that confidence to people who come to see us really isn't it and sowing that seed again no pun intended but sowing the seed that we can talk about this it's natural we shouldn't feel bashful maybe even saying you know talk about your partner with this or is that I something that, that do you think or katie we could do with like the confidence of your patients as well i know for me even through these conversations like you just got to ask all those questions we shouldn't mm. As much as we'd like to rely on the healthcare professionals, we can't at this stage. So I think don't be afraid. Go and ask the questions. You know, if they're prescribing you drugs, 
ask is this suitable for me at my time of the month is it has it been tested on women like ask those hard-hitting questions um and challenge it really we do have to i don't like putting down gps because i know some fantastic gps but when i hear like for example my wife coming back from an examination and the doctors asked her about her front body my wife is like 35 <laughs> yeah she was just came back going, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. He asked about my front body. Forget Twinkle. I prefer Twinkle. Are you sure he was a real doctor? Yeah, well, he had a white coat. <laughs> but, I mean, that is all obviously an N equals one. But we've we've had comments from other people who visited GPs, and sadly, and we've had Sarah Jones, who's kind of quoted that what they learn is mm. is not enough to cater for 50 percent of the population so as don't bow don't bad mouth another profession ever because that doesn't do you any do any any favors and at all but ask not, the questions yeah it's not to excuse them but it, is it their fault when society is is you know bringing mm. them up like that then you know that they're just learning a, a syllabus or a curriculum that they're they're taught to so Definitely. I think it's probably also just just reflecting from the therapist perspective, um, you know, Stevie's just uh, put in a comment that, you know, if we're interested in our client's health, we shouldn't be afraid to ask any relevant questions uh, of their overall health. And I I entirely agree. But I think I think probably given this uh, lack of knowledge and understanding and lack of conversation that currently exists, I think the bit we've got to be really careful of, particularly as male therapists, is to highlight the relevance of the questions we're asking because otherwise we run the risk of making our female uh, clients very uncomfortable very quickly Mm. um you know i can't remember who i was talking to the other day i was on a a call anyway we were talking about this in the context of quadraquina uh type symptoms and how sometimes people feel so katie uh appreciate uh essentially you can end up with bowel and bladder problems, sexual function problems, numbness in the saddle region with this particular condition. And you've got to be able to ask those questions. And and it can feel awkward the first time you do it when you're asking someone, does it feel different when you wipe? Mm. But but in this particular instance, this is a literally life-changing condition that we need to identify very quickly. Most people would put it into context to say, I need to know based on your symptoms, can you tell me X, Y, and Z? I think if we just suddenly start diving into our female clients' menstrual cycle stage, they might be sat there and going, What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy I, I, suddenly picked up a new fetish. <laughs> exactly. So I think so I agree with 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 Stevie a hundred percent. I think the key word in there is is relevance, yeah. making it relevant to our clients. Yeah, great advice. And there's always the pendulum always swings too far the other way. We've done it with pain science to a certain degree. There's therapists now are kind of jumping too much onto kind of just the psychosocial factors and beginning to downplay the bio side of it. But this is kind of part of the way of learning, isn't it? We um, go too far the other way, then find the right place. So, um, yeah, no, great advice Um, to finish off then. I well, no, I know the people in the people in this room all know too much. I'm not going to bother doing that. No, you've ruined it, people, <laughs> listeners. You know too much. Bloody echo chambers, eh? Um, I'm not Stevie, even... our token bloke. Yeah, I had so many things lined up. I was going to ask about, you know, how long can a tampon be up there before it becomes an emergency? Um, but up, I... there, up there. Up there. Come on, Matt. What <laughs> Sorry, up your twinkle. About? Sorry, up your twinkle. <laughs> how long can you have a tampon up your twinkle or your fun body before it becomes regarded as uh, an emergency? Could you write that oh, down just God. to humour me? How many, what are we talking, minutes, days, hours? How long's the safe? Uh, Come on, Stevie. Stevie, 
And then Gary, <laughs> please, Gary. <laughs> and how many can you fit up there before it's unsafe? I'd like. To oh, say. good lord! That reminds me of. A... And that's all we've got evening for tonight. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> that reminds me of a time. Um, <laughs> There is a fabulous book that is totally irrelevant to this, but um, has some overlap called Bonk. Uh, and it's the secret si- it's something like the secret science of sex it's by Mary, someone or other. And my memory's failing me. Um, it's period once now, Matt. Keep up. What? I'm not sure she's replying to. Uh, uh, I have no idea who Leslie replied to now. Um, but this book, Bonk, anyway, it basically it looks at. Um, sex from a scientific perspective and the developments of it and talking of things up there it does remind me of a story where a gentleman um attended a and e with two pairs of tweezers up his urethra uh and when asked why he had two pairs of tweezers up his urethra his answer was well i lost the first pair so i used a second to try and retrieve it and lost them as well which is just yeah (laughs) so Apologies on that note. <laughs> That's a great note to finish off. What a, what a great way to end the show. Um, <laughs> it's a good book, though. There's some brilliant books. And I'm clenching and I can't stop clenching. <laughs> um, yes. Well, there we go. Um, oh, there we go. Stevie's answered. Not a clue. Which is self support show. Oh, finally, the people who join us live in the week have not got the answer. What would you say, uh, Matt? Or do you know? How, many, how, uh, many, how long before you start going to? believe because again i have actually sat down and read the instruction leaflet in my wife's boxes of tampons um i believe it's eight hours otherwise you end up running the risk of toxic shock syndrome Spot on. you read be, those yeah. instructions wisely yeah well done yeah eight <laughs> hours indeed yeah uh, eight hours steve just in case um i've no idea about the tweezers <laughs> don't try it at home basically i think that's probably the message right and becky has revoked her whatever was left of her uh, uh, outstanding invite to bath <laughs> <laughs> <Good. laughs> Okay, right. Well, look, it is uh, 9.07. So um, we've, yeah, Becky is coming now at eight hours. Uh, Steve was at four hours. Um, halfway, Steve. Lee was talking about period pants, not period once. Oh, period pants. Oh, period once. <laughs> I'm with you. Or take her out. I really lost the trail there. But Catherine Reimer apparently sticks a panty on a twinkle for two to four hours. Um, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> Right, we've learnt a lot about each other and, and our audience tonight. We hope that's been useful to you. Obviously, we've had a little bit of a laugh, or quite a lot of a laugh. But, yeah, there's a message out there, um, basically, and it goes further, doesn't it, than soft tissue therapy. It's, it's just a whole society thing. And, of course, we're talking about the UK. In other countries, we recognise that the situation is thousands of times worse, where women are locked into rooms, you know, in rooms during the menstrual period, or they have to use sticks and leaves or anything in kind of disgraced um to look after themselves um so yeah we're relatively compared to that obviously we're fantastically well up in this country but it's all relative and obviously there's a lot of education that needs to be doing but we can make a start i think at making a difference in clinic again by being that fantastic little chess piece um 
I'm going to try and continue a chess analogy now, but it's rapidly going to go off. But yeah, we are not just a pawn. We like to think of ourselves as a bishop who can move diagonally to help patients get to that other area quickly. Um, but yeah, it's an important message. Um, and we will be continuing women's health next week, uh, um, sp focusing specifically on um, the female athlete, where a lot of these topics will come up again. So if you've enjoyed listening to this, if you listen to the podcast, and hopefully you've still got about five days, if you want to join us live, we will be joined by um, Emma Brockwell, Gronia Donnelly, and Dr. Helen McElroy. Sorry, Helen, I forgot about your name if you are checking this out. Um, so they will be joined by the three of them next week. Very exciting because they will be giving details about, talking about education, about the female athlete, athletic female course, which they've put together. Um, again, taking research and putting it onto the, clinician's floor where you can actually learn from the three of the best in the industry um just before we finish just, i love what Mac, becky says um becky's always got something good to say becky thanks guys matt s that's good becky well done can you pop a link to your findings about men and women in medical trials please fascinating we'll make sure that goes yeah. into the show notes yeah well one of the i'm just gonna bring it up on my screen very mm -hmm. quickly not that bit come on why is it not refreshed uh, no, it's refreshed. Oh, and it's backwards again. Right. This book, um, for anyone who's interested, read it backwards. Uh, it's called Invisible Women uh, by Caroline Cradio Perez. I apologize, Caroline, if I've mispronounced your name. Um, this is a phenomenal book, which basically just looks at um, how the entirety of society is designed for men. Uh, everything from your ergonomic chairs to the heating requirements in office blocks are all based on uh, the norms for men, which is why anyone who's ever worked in an office will often find the men in shirt sleeves and the women in cardigans. So wow. true. So oh, true. So much right we'll make sure that all of these um useful links get put in the show notes if you're looking for show notes the best place to go is either podbean who hosts us um you'll find them all there but also even easier than that is go to the sports therapy association website page where i copy all of the show notes out again for your reading pleasure and education and that website is the sta so t-h-e-s-t-a dot co uk um if you want information about anything we've talked about tonight then have a look there as well as links to um both of our guests. I don't know what link I'm going to give for you, Katie. Just <laughs> I think I think we're going to create. We're going to rapidly create an app called Ask Katie, and it's Ask going to be Katie. like um, yeah. an anonymous like Jeeves, but Ask yeah, Katie. it's going to be an anonymous blokes can ask Katie anything kind of thing. That yeah. is a we good idea. You don't have a blog at the moment, but it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> So ask Katie got I'll check if it's available now. But yeah, look out for that. But obviously, um, Matt Scars, but we'll put links if you want to follow him and check out the uh, videos again. Matt, congratulations on the videos. I think they're amazing, and they're Thank playing you. a uh, you know a significant part in helping educate our industry. We'll see you next week. If you want to join us live, it's always on a Tuesday at eight o'clock UK time. Um, but obviously, if you prefer listening to your own time, that's great. Just do leave a little rating um uh on apple podcasts in particular that'd be fantastic as well so thanks once again to matt scarsbrook and katie thank you for having us <laughs> <laughs> really enjoyed being here tonight so thank, thank you thank you for representing the vaginas of the world um we <laughs> my we mission in you. life complete <laughs> pick that off your list <laughs> the vaginas salute you both too <laughs> Catherine Mimer <laughs> signing out me and my children cool. say thank you it was a great discussion <laughs> and on that note Goodbye and take care of each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.